Hello you. Welcome to this space. I'm your host Ruth and this is No Time for Small Talk. The podcast where we unpack the more complex and deeper aspects of life and explore taboo topics with curiosity and open discussion. We will be delving into mental and physical health, addiction, trauma, birth, death, and pretty much anything else we can dive to the depths of. If you have found your way here, I'm sure you are searching for something deeper, and I hope these conversations provide you with enlightening perspectives, comfort, education, and a smile or two. So wherever you are listening, welcome and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Time for Small Talk. I'm coming at you today with another solo episode and today I'm going to be talking to you about the tools that I have used to support my mental and physical well-being over my life. So when I was thinking about this topic, first of all I thought about you know, what are the current things that I'm doing that really positively impact and influence my health on every level? And I was going to delve into them, you know, talking about nutrition and talking about mindset and talking about, you know, getting out in nature and all of these beautiful things. And then I was speaking to my partner and just sort of brainstorming ideas about, you know, what to speak about for this episode And he kind of brought it to my attention that there are so many other things and tools that I've used to support my well-being in the past that are no longer supportive to my well-being. And you could look at those things as negatives and you could look at those things as kind of maladaptive strategies. And yet at the time while I was using those things, they were supportive and they were helpful for my mental and physical well-being. Of thinking about that, it really opened up this whole conversation. What are some of the tools that I have used in the past which have supported my physical and mental well-being but are now no longer supportive? And then moving on, what are the things that I am currently using. So looking back and looking at things that I've sort of used in the past, I actually asked my partner if he could help me with a list (laughs) of all the things that I've done to support myself. And the list goes something like this, running away, facing fears up front, communicating, avoidance, distraction, physical change, diet and lifestyle, sex, changing friends, counselling, anger at loved ones, journaling, connecting with purpose, arguing, alcohol, drugs. All of those things are things that I have done to, on some level, support my physical and mental well-being. And like I said, it doesn't mean that any or all of those things were helpful or positive. But at the time while I was using them, They supported me in that they helped me to one, survive. They helped me to navigate really challenging situations. And they helped me to get to the place where I am today, sitting right here. 
And so if I kind of take a little while to delve into each of those things. So the first one was running away. So there's been many times over, I'd say the past seven years that I've done pretty big running away stints. You know, I ran away from Ireland to New Zealand and then I went from New Zealand to America, from America to the Netherlands, from the Netherlands back to Ireland and from Ireland over to Australia. And I would say on some level, each one of those constituted running away from something. So at the time when I moved to New Zealand, I was really trying to run away from the life that I had created for myself in Ireland. I was running away from behaviours and patterns that were really not supporting my physical or mental well-being. Heavily drinking and taking drugs, I was stuck in destructive patterns, destructive relationships, tricky relationships with my family at the time because I was being so dishonest. I had no prospect of what I wanted to do with my life or for my life. I decided to go to the other side of the world and to see what would happen and to run away from and avoid everything that was there for me at home. And then again, when it came to running away from New Zealand to America, I was in a relationship. We were both going through a lot of our own personal issues that we really weren't dealing with. The relationship itself was beautiful on many levels, but it was also, there were so many elements of avoidance in each other. You know, we were using the relationship to distract ourselves from our own individual pain and from our own individual issues that needed to be dealt with. And I wasn't ready to be there and be present and deal with any of my own stuff. And I wasn't ready to be in a conscious, committed relationship and do the work that was required to make it successful. I was in America for a few months and I was working at the time. And to be honest, everything just got completely on top of me. And again, I found myself faced with myself, with a lot of my own pain and a lot of my past coming up for me. And I just was not able or ready to sit with it. And so I left the program that I was working on early and I completely bailed and I I booked a yoga teacher training in the Netherlands and off I went. And I spent a month in an ashram in the Netherlands living a very strict yogic lifestyle and learning, you know, how to be a yoga teacher all the while using that as a way to run away from my pain and as a way to run away from my past. And when I did finally finish up that training, I I went back to Ireland and sort of the time where things all started to come to a head, I had to start facing things. Um, I've spoken about it a little bit in the first episode on mental health, you know, 
after a while back at home, COVID came around and I had to really sit with my own demons and look at, look at things for real and start to have real conversations. I'd like to say that my moving to Australia was the first time that I wasn't running away. You know, I felt that I was running towards a new life with someone. I felt that I had dealt with a lot of my stuff and I felt like I was making a conscious decision to create a new start and to not run away. And yet, the more that I think about it, there was still an element to this move that was a running away. I had started to do the inner work. I had started therapy. I had started really looking at myself, my past, my behaviors, my patterns. And I think, you know, there was an element of running away from all of that. Some of the other unhelpful or maladaptive strategies that I used at the time were diet and lifestyle. So on one hand, you think diet and lifestyle, well, that's a good thing. You know, I changed my nutrition. I started going to the gym. I started looking after myself. I was conscious about how I was eating and getting quality meals. I, you know, stopped drinking, stopped drugging. There was so much around diet and lifestyle that was about control. Diet can be seen as a good thing because I was really conscious about what I was eating and I was looking after myself and fueling my body. But on the other hand, I became really conscious to my own detriment of what and how I was eating. I became hyper fixated on food. I became controlling about how I ate, what I ate, when I ate, stressed about food and making sure I was making quote unquote healthy choices you know, obsessively going to the gym and forcing myself to get up at 6am to get to the gym, to have a workout before work, to make sure I feel good. And that isn't healthy either. How was that a tool at the time? Because fixating on food and fixating on the gym allowed me to stop fixating on drugs and alcohol. And so it helped me. It was a strategy and it was a tool that supported my physical and mental well-being until it didn't, till it started to negatively affect my self, my body, my mind. When it became more stressful to force myself to go to the gym, then it became an unhelpful and a negative strategy. Avoidance, distraction. Ooh, these are big ones for me and things that I've used for a long time. For a long time, I convinced myself that I was facing everything head on, you know, because I was really willing to look at my trauma, my patterns, my behaviors, beliefs, you know, my past relationships, because I was willing to look at these things, to talk about these things, to explain these things. I thought that I was facing them head on. And a huge realization for me was that the very act of continuously talking about and expressing was actually preventing me from feeling them. 
you know, so there's this really interesting concept about intellectualization, which means think about and explain about the hows and the whys and wheres that something happened without really feeling it. So let's say you were in a highly um, traumatic car crash. Maybe you can talk about the ins and outs of that car crash, when it happened, where it happened, how it happened, the injuries that you sustained, you know, how long you were in hospital, how much you had to stay off, how long you had to stay off work for, how it affected your life without once sitting with the feeling of how that trauma impacted you and where you feel that trauma in your body and the emotion behind that scenario. I had used intellectualization for a long time as an avoidance strategy and distraction. You know, I distracted myself with everything. I'm very good at distracting. Could distract myself with work, could distract myself with projects, could distract myself with getting really busy, meeting friends, taking on a new course, doing more study, setting myself a new goal. Now at this point in my life, I can see how they are unhelpful. But at the time when I began using these strategies and using these techniques, they were helpful. You know, intellectualization as an avoidance tactic meant that I was able to come to terms with my past and with the traumas that I've experienced. And I was able to begin to unpack and unravel everything that's happened up to this point. So that now I'm in a place where I can feel the feelings and I can deal with the feelings. And distraction, there's such a long period of time where I was unable to cope with that level of feeling and and facing things that had occurred in my life head on. So distraction was just a way to keep me surviving and a way to keep me moving forwards. Whether it was moving forwards in the best possible direction, it kept me moving forward and allowed me to reach the point where I'm at today. Anger at loved ones. Anger has been an emotion that I've had a very interesting relationship with. Anger is something that I know very well. Anger at loved ones was my way of not feeling the pain of something that I had been missing or something that I had never received. And on the deepest level, anger is really covering deep sadness and grief. And what I've found is that it's a lot easier to be angry than to really sit with pain and sadness and deep inner grief. A huge part of my journey with anger has been to connect with the real feeling of rage and what rage is telling me, what rage is showing me. And so often rage is opening up something deep within me that the little girl in me that's just so sad that she never received whatever it was that she was needing 
And so often anger comes because something triggers that inner child in me feeling that level of grief and sorrow. And it's like the adult in me is angry on her behalf and doesn't know how to express it because I haven't touched the real feeling of deep sorrow. And when I've taken the time to actually connect in and to ask what this rage is trying to tell me, it's always such a potent experience and such an enlightening experience. And quite often what I think is going to come up and come through is so vastly different from what the real emotion and feeling is. And another one of these, I guess, unhelpful or maladaptive strategies for me was excessively focusing on the positive and almost ignoring the negative in life. And so there's a few layers to this. So I have spoken about before on previous episodes, the anxiety that I've had running throughout my life. And when I started to kind of try and make positive changes for myself, one of the things, one of my ways of coping was to completely eliminate anything that was going to cause me anxiety. So, you know, I wouldn't watch, listen to, surround myself with, engage with anything that I perceived as negative. So on one hand, I wouldn't watch the news or I wouldn't watch movies that were frightening or stressful and I wouldn't you know connect with stories that were going to freak me out or that were going to make me upset but on the other hand I also wouldn't allow in myself or in others emotions or experiences that I perceived as negative and so there was a huge element of spiritual bypassing going on in me where it was this idea of you know, everything is light and beautiful and the world is a magical, positive place. And anything outside of that is just you're focusing on the bad and you're focusing on the negative and that's your choice, but I don't want to be part of it. You know, it's only as time went on that I realized the utter lie and avoidance that this way of thinking is. But I do believe to some extent that most people who go on a sort of a healing journey lean into an element of this. I can look back and cringe at the people that I encountered at that time and just feel so much guilt around the level of complete and utter dismissal that I gave to people who were experiencing real suffering. But at that time, that was my way of keeping myself okay. Because there was so much that was happening around me and within me that if I allowed myself to, I would have completely sunk into the pits of despair and felt that the world is a very dangerous, a very scary, a very unsafe place and nothing good is ever going to happen. And so my way of coping with that was to avoid and ignore anything that I perceived as negative and to just focus on the good. And so again, now looking back, I can go, well, it's a really unhelpful strategy. And also it's not reality. You know, you're living outside of the reality of the world. All of the world has good and bad. All of the world has shadow and light. And existing in the world in the human experience means existing 
with both sides. And so there's many, many other behaviours that I could talk about that I used now I see are unhelpful. But I guess the point of looking back and discussing these kind of strategies and tools that I've used in the past is just to highlight the fact that we are always ebbing and flowing. We are always changing our views and our behaviors based on new information, based on how we've evolved as a human being. And I guess it's just to honor that journey and to honor that process and know that at whatever stage you are at in your journey and whatever tools you are using, you know, don't let anyone tell you that they're wrong. If you're using a tool or a strategy that is helping you to survive, that is helping you to keep your head above water, that is helping to keep you afloat, then that's a strategy that is working for you in this moment in time. It doesn't mean that you need to hold on to that strategy forever. It doesn't mean that you can never change, never upgrade, never evolve. But it means that it's okay to use whatever tools and strategies you are using that are helping you for now. There did come a time with all of these behaviours and many others that I haven't touched on became more harmful than helpful whereby I realized by continuing with these behaviors it was really hindering my progression forward and when I looked at and assessed the way I wanted to live my life and how I wanted my life to be moving forward I realized that I would have to change certain behaviors and I would have to change certain strategies as they weren't helping me. Some of the tools that I use now that are currently helping me in my day-to-day life are open and honest communication, therapy, intuitive eating, getting in touch with rage, sitting with myself and my emotions, identifying my triggers and really digging into them, self-care, journaling, acupuncture, holistic therapies. You know, a big part of my journey has been therapy. I went to therapy a little bit when I was a child as well. As an adult, therapy is something that I started quite a few years ago. And as I've developed and as I've evolved, the way in which I use therapy has evolved too. Um, I've had many different therapists, some which I really related to and have gained a lot of insight and wisdom from, and some of which I completely didn't resonate with and to be honest, have probably been more harmful than helpful. And I guess a big support that I have found with therapy has been having someone who is neutral to the situation and to your life, who can come in with a fresh set of eyes and shine a light on the parts that maybe you've been blindsided by Maybe you're not willing to look at, or maybe you just haven't thought about. I found that therapy has really helped me to gain a deeper understanding of myself and of my ways of being in the world and ways of relating in the world. It's been so helpful at times when I'm struggling to see past my own point of view. For me, I feel that I've reached a point whereby talk therapy just doesn't really cut it anymore. 
as I sort of touched on, I've had interesting relationship with sort of intellectualizing my emotions and feelings and experiences. And so I've reached a point with talk therapy that I feel going over the same things over and over again and explaining them doesn't really help me to shift or change things. And so now when I do engage with a therapist, it's generally um, some kind of integrative or holistic therapist who uses other modalities to really work in the body and to work with energy, to move things and shift things out of my awareness and to help me move forward in my life. Um, Because for a time, talking about things that had happened and talking about my experiences was super helpful and was something that I desperately needed to do. But as time's gone on, it's reached a point where I feel talking about things only gets you so far. And there's a lot of emotion and a lot of energy that's stored in the body and kind of trapped, trapped traumas and trapped emotions that if they're not shifted, they will continue to ripple out in our day-to-day lives and so that's something that I use now if and when I need it. Sitting with myself and my emotions has been something that I have been learning to do more and more. It's something that takes a long time to get comfortable with when you've spent so many years repressing, suppressing and ignoring emotions and feelings. It's quite strange to actually feel them and to sit with them and to let them be there. And But I've learned that there is so much we can learn from our emotions and by taking the time to actually tune in and to ask ourselves and to ask our emotions what they're trying to teach us can actually bring so much healing. So that's something that I've been working on a lot more lately particularly when there's a big or heavy emotion coming up to actually just allow some space to feel it and part of that has been journaling. I have had a regular journaling practice for about six years I would say. Journaling really invites me to have a deeper look at myself and what's going on within me. Often when I start writing I uncover and learn things about myself and become open to new perspectives that I hadn't even considered prior to picking up the pen and paper. I find that taking the time to allow whatever's in my head and whatever's in my soul to come through really invites a deepening in the connection with myself. And if you're not familiar with the practice of journaling, There's a lot of easy ways to start. You know, there's a lot of journaling prompts online. I'll actually put up on our Instagram page a few journaling prompts if you're getting into journaling. It can be really simple to just start, to just allow whatever comes to you to come, to flow through you. You know, you can do freeform journaling where it's literally you just pick up the pen and whatever comes out, comes out. You can journal to prompts. Yeah, there's so many different ways. But that's been something that I have continuously done that supported me throughout my life. Um, Another big one for me has been self-care. And I think self-care is such a hot topic at the moment. It's such a phrase that's sort of thrown around, you know, 
about lighting candles and having a bath and putting on a foot mask and all of these things. But I think at the crux of it, self-care is about caring for yourself. I think it's about taking the time to really go inwards, to connect with what you are needing in your life and from yourself and to take the time and space to try and gift that to yourself. Self-care at its depth is about self-connection and about really getting to know who you are on the deepest level and then getting to know how you can support yourself the very best way you can. You know, getting to know your childhood, getting to know your triggers, getting to know what fills you up, what brings you joy and bringing more of those practices into your life. Getting to know how you operate best, what kind of schedules work best for you and fitting your life around that. Connecting to your purpose and your passions and making time to work on those things in your life. There's nothing wrong with having a bubble bath with beautiful candles and having a face mask and a foot mask and fluffy blanket to wrap around yourself. That's all beautiful. But I think if you're not connecting with that deeper inner work and really connecting to yourself, then it's all just fluffy extras. And the final thing that I will say is what has been hugely supportive for my physical and mental well-being has been engaging with the help of qualified professionals in their fields. I have no illusion that I don't know it all. I know that there's only so much I can do for myself. And part of my process has been reaching out and and asking for help and getting the support of an acupuncturist, a massage therapist, a counsellor, a therapist, a nutritionist, a naturopath, whatever it is that I'm needing at the time to really support my physical and mental well-being, investing in the help of professionals propels me forward. And I also know that we can't do this alone. The final tool, and I guess the most important tool that I have used to support my well-being on every possible level, has actually been connecting with others that has looked like getting really open and vulnerable it's looked like having honest conversations with people in my life it's looked like connecting on a deeper level to my family and to my friends making time and space to develop relationships and to create a deeper intimacy within relationships it's looked like Going to therapy with people you love to learn how to work better together and to learn more about that person on a deeper level. It's been creating community and creating a network of people around me that I know I can turn to. I think all too often we treat the people in our lives carelessly and we don't put enough time and effort into our relationships. I would say the deepest and most healing support that I have found is connecting on a deeper level with other human beings. I really truly feel that relationships are the most important thing we have and when we can 
open ourselves up and allow ourselves to be seen and to be truly witnessed as who we are, we have so much more of a chance of feeling truly well on every level. And so with that, I'm going to leave it there. I would love to hear a little bit about tools you may have used to support your journey so far. Maybe you could send through a message on our Instagram page and just let me know, you know, any strategies or tools that you have used in the past that you've realized are now not helpful or tools or strategies that you are currently implementing or trying to bring into your life. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there for today. A little bit of a shorter episode. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I hope that you found this episode helpful and I will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to No Time for Small Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, share and leave a review. Remember to follow our Instagram, No Time for Small Talk, for extra resources and to be the first to hear about upcoming guests or events. If you would like to connect or find out more about my work, you can find me on Instagram at Ruma Integrative or by emailing ruma-connect at outlook.com. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Bye for now.